You are listening to Uncommentary. Hey folks, this is Marty. I want to remind you again about my friend Byron at Hearts and Minds Books and encourage you to order from this uh, independent bookstore up in Pennsylvania. Uh, it's heartsandmindsbooks.com, and when you go there, you'll see easily the navigation to uh, request a book or to ask about a book. Uh, they're super helpful. If you'll mention Uncommentary, uh, on some books you can get a discount. They can't discount everything because of the nature of their small operation, but when they can, they do. And I really encourage you to check him out. Uh, he mentioned to me recently that there has been some business come, come his way as a result of the podcast. That makes me like really happy. That's heartsandmindsbooks.com. Uh, you can actually leave a card on file. I do this all the time. And then email him when you want a new book and how you want it shipped to you. And he can handle it uh, right there through your email. And uh, it's really, really encouraging to him. And so I encourage you to check him out. So most Christians are familiar with the Beatitudes, and a lot of non-Christians are familiar with the Beatitudes as well, from the book of Matthew primarily. It's also in Luke, I think, but uh, the blessed are ye passage from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so blessed are the merciful, blessed are the meek, and those kinds of things. Um, and so I was a much younger person when I realized that that can be translated as, oh, how very happy. So blessed is, how happy is the person who hungers and thirsts after righteousness? Um, and so Barnabas Piper's a buddy of mine and we've known each other for, I don't know, seven or eight years or something like that. We worked together at one time, uh, and he's written a new book about the subject of happiness. And I think it's really important, especially where this is December, 2020, when this is being recorded, uh, which has been a year with a lot of unhappiness for a lot of reasons for a lot of people. And I think it's important that those of us who are followers of Christ and, those who are listening who might not be followers of Christ to understand where happiness comes from, that God's not against happiness, that he's very pro happiness, especially in the ways that he has created us to enjoy happiness in a way that reflects his glory. So if you need to listen to this a couple of times, just to kind of get some theological grounding as to what's going on in this conversation related to how happy God wants his people to be. My guest today is a longtime friend and former coworker and sometimes collaborative troublemaker who has written a new book. This is like your, I don't know, 20th book or something like that. It feels like it because a bunch of mine were re-released. So uh, <laughs> it's only my fourth or fifth official book, but we'll call it 20th. But dude, I mean, obviously having somebody interested in re-releasing your books is a whole lot better than having nobody interested in ever releasing your books. That's true. Yeah. It's uh, it's like, it's like affirmation twice. That's right. <laughs> so Barnabas Piper, welcome to Uncommentary. Thanks for having me on, Marty. Absolutely. So some of my, some of my folks will know um, who you are and they'll recognize your name, but um, give us the, the little bio that you would give for people who might not know you as well as others. Well, I'm the author of not 10 books. Um <laughs> No, I, so currently I, uh, reside in Nashville. I'm on staff, just, uh, just became an assistant pastor at Emmanuel Nashville. So it's a church just on the West side of town. Hey, and congrats on uh, that, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, yeah that was, uh, an, uh, sort of a long time coming and also very unexpected, not where I would have expected God to have led my life, but very glad to, to have arrived there. Um, I'm the father of two daughters, 
and uh, married to Lauren and live in the north suburbs of Nashville. And that's sort of the uh, the flyover version. Um, cool. I have written I've written four books and then one Bible study and I co-host a podcast. So those are the uh, those are like the side hustle things, I guess. You could drop it. It's the happy rant, right? And you got two yes. two happy ranters that uh, are on that with you. Yep, I co-hosted with Ted Cluck and Ronnie Martin, and uh, yeah, so we basically take a not overly serious look at basically anything we feel like, yeah. but especially <laughs> things within the in, inside the Christian cultural world where things get weird, and we sort of point out where things get weird. So I follow Ronnie on Twitter just uh, so he'll know this. And I always confuse him with somebody else who I don't even really know who it is. And so every time he comes to my Twitter feed, I'm like, what is this guy doing here? And then I realize <laughs> <laughs> who it is. Oh, yeah, I followed him on purpose. Okay. So your who book. Do you confuse it? Who do you confuse him with? That yeah, that's. Fun. Yeah, I'm not going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Your reaction makes me very curious. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm never gonna I'm never gonna break that one. Uh, so your brand new book, not reissued, but actually uh, brand new, is "Hoping for Happiness: Turning Life's Most Elusive Feeling into Lasting Reality." And I have to say, uh, if I hadn't already been a believer in the sovereignty of God, this probably would have been like God is sovereign to have dropped this particular book in 2020. So how did you uh, how did you come about getting ready to write this one? Well, yeah, it, not in 2020, that's for <laughs> sure. Um, it, I turned in the manuscript about a month before everything shut down for COVID. Wow. Um, so uh, I had written it and everything. And so then they asked me to rewrite the forward for it and say, hey, can you mention that the world is falling apart maybe? <laughs> and just kind of tie some of these things in. Um, so, yeah, basically I just... I wrote it with a mixture of my own experiences trying to figure out what does it look like to, to genuinely be happy in, uh, in a fallen world, you know, mm -hmm. been through some significant ups and downs in, in my life. And, but had this keen sense that, you know, God didn't desire his people to be miserable. So what is happiness about? But then in kind of looking around at the world around me, I thought, and there's a lot of versions of happiness and pursuits of happiness that also seem um, fragile at best, misleading, you know, unfulfilling. And so trying to trying to hone in on what is realistic happiness in this life. And uh, so that's that's what the book came out of. And then obviously it landed uh, mid pandemic, which it either means it either means God thought it was the perfect timing and everybody needed it, uh, or God has a great sense of humor and <laughs> and likes irony. It makes him happy. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, interesting about your book is that um, unlike a lot of books, kind of in this this particular uh, slot of the Christian genre, it doesn't start with the Beatitudes. So it's not like, Hey, let's read part of the sermon on the mountain. I'm going to write an entire book about something that Jesus talked about for seven verses. Um, how did you, how did you decide I need to write a book on happiness or I'm feeling led to write a book on happiness, but you didn't start with blessed are they? Um, because, because I didn't want to over theologize it. You know, I, I wanted to be biblically grounded, but what I really wanted was to help people figure out what is, what is it reasonable to expect out of 
a new job, a new marriage, you know, mm-hmm. a dining experience, a dinner party, whatever. Because because those are the things that I that I looked at and thought these things are perpetually disappointing. You know, mm-hmm. there's every time someone starts a new job, it's this grand new adventure for like six weeks. Right. <laughs> and then and then they find out that their boss has personality quirks that are challenging to work for or yeah. whatever. And so I wasn't interested in a kind of a, a theological um, over spiritualized understanding of happiness. I wanted like, what does happiness look like on a crappy Tuesday mm-hmm. in, in March when it's gray outside and work is, is kind of miserable. So what, what is happiness then, or as a parent or whatever. And I found a lot of that groundedness in Ecclesiastes because, because it's such a, it's such a, uh, it's a book that looks at every different aspect of life and just says, here's what you can expect out of it. Here's what you can't, mm-hmm. you know, looks at, looks at work. It looks at love. It looks at being wealthy and being powerful and being, you know, the pursuit of all these different things and says, if you handle them this way, it all comes to nothing. If you handle them this way, that's the way God intended. It, and there's a lot of good in it. So when you say, as you say in chapter three, hanging happiness on weak hooks. Um, so, so what I'm getting from you in, in talking about this is you're you were interested in writing a book about what happiness looks like practically rather than mm-hmm. theoretically. Um, how we do respond to happiness rather than maybe how we feel like we should respond to happiness. So when you say hanging happiness on weak hooks, give some examples of what that looks like practically. Yeah, I think the the examples I use in that chapter are things like like relationships, like work. Um, even, you know, like entrepreneurialism is a big one that I see around where people, you know, they have, they have this idealized vision of, I'm going to go work for myself. I'm going to start something. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a creator. And they have this grand vision of independence and wealth and flexibility. And, and inevitably when you hang all of your hopes on something that isn't designed to hold all of those hopes, mm-hmm. It just comes crashing down. And I got that example from, um, you know, those those command hooks yep. that you get from yep. 3M or whatever. Yep. <laughs> I would I would get those and just time and again, I, you know, I'd stick them on the wall and I'd hang a picture on them or whatever. And whether it was five minutes later or like five weeks later, there would just be this resounding crash. And whatever I had hung on it was now scattered all over the floor right? because they just weren't designed to hold. Well, I don't think they're designed to hold anything, but they certainly weren't designed to hold um, whatever weight I had put on yeah, your heavy overcoat. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Anything. Yeah. yeah like you, you can hang, you can hang like a ball of yarn on them or something. Um, and I feel like that's, that's more or less what we do with the things in this life. Mm. You get a new house and you think this is it. This is going to be, you know, this is going to be like the perfect dream home. And then your water heater goes out or the water main breaks or your HVAC system needs to be repaired or whatever. And all of a sudden it's a money pit. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is like me with those hooks, we try it over and over and over again. We just don't ever learn that these things are not going to fulfill us in that way. So that, that was kind of the premise there. It's not that those aren't good things, it's that they're not designed to carry that much weight. Mm. So we, what, what are we expecting out of them? 
how much weight can we hang on a new job or a significant other or a church or whatever it is. One of your chapters, uh, there's two chapters I really want you to talk about because I love the names. One is uh, <clears throat> Don't Fear the Reaper, which we'll come back to. But the other one is Chapter 6, Evangelagilt, I guess is how you're pronouncing that or how mm-hmm. you imagine that it would be pronounced. Um, yeah, it's a made-up word, so you can do what you want with it. Is, is that is that feeling guilty for being an evangelical? <laughs> uh, no, that it's not, but it could be, I guess, <laughs> at this point. It's... Um, so I'll start with "Don't Fear the Reaper." That uh, one of the one of the things you see in Ecclesiastes is that there's a there's a recurring refrain of the same end comes for all people, mm. all of us, and it and that's part of the reason why Ecclesiastes says all things are vanity. It's so everything has sort of a, a disappointment to it. Because the same end is for all people. So the wise and the unwise, the righteous and the unrighteous, the young and the old, everybody ends in death. And so and it's and it's not like a fatalistic thing. It's just saying this is reality. So how are you going to live in light of that reality? And the premise there is that at least for believers, death is something that we have to take fully into account and it will actually improve and shape how we live life well, how we find enjoyment in things, mm-hmm. because it removes the temptation to, to put ultimate happy, to hang ultimate happiness on anything in this world, which then frees us up to genuinely enjoy things, to, to throw ourselves into them with with a uh, with energy and vigor and, and purpose, knowing that this thing will only last for so long. Mm-hmm. That's OK. That's, That's the way good. God designed it. And so death is not something that we should, it doesn't diminish the happiness of a believer. It frames the happiness of a believer and it it gives it clarity and purpose and direction. And that's pretty significant. Um, And not something that we feel very comfortable talking about. Death is always the enemy, which is true because the Bible talks about death as the enemy, but it's not, but it's a defeated enemy. Mm-hmm. It's not a thing that we need to, to to live in dread of and let that diminish our life as much as give our life kind of concentrated purpose. Mm-hmm. Um. So si- since you jump since you jumped ahead and and uh, insisted upon doing the latter chapter first, uh, <laughs> Evangelical, I'm just dying to know what you're talking about here. Yeah, I you know. In a different book, it would be uh, guilt about being an evangelical, but I feel like uh, I feel like every progressive Christian has already written that one. Um, so, no, it's it, evangelical guilt is the is the term that I coined to try to describe that sensation that people who grew up in conservative Christianity have that sort of that low grade guilt about enjoying things mm, mm. Um, or having nice things, you know. So. If if you saw, you know, you saw me and I'm wearing a new jacket, you say, hey, that's a nice jacket. I would immediately respond with, yeah, I got it on sale. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. that sort of we have to we have to kind of tamp down any impression that we give of of over enjoyment or of um, living lavishly. Mm-hmm. We, we kind of spiritualize enjoyment. So, you know, it's pictures of somebody playing at the beach and they're like hashtag blessed. <laughs> which is not untrue. It is a blessing, but also 
you could just be like, this is fun. Right. You know, we're having a good time. And so it's that, yeah, it's that sense of like, we, we, we in the conservative Christian world struggle to just freely enjoy things to their fullest. Mm. Um, and, you know, sometimes this expresses itself in, you know, eschewing happiness, sort of a, an ascetic kind of lifestyle. A lot of times it's just that over-spiritualization. So you get people who, it's why like when you're having a big dinner, some, somebody wants to like sing a worship song afterwards. And you're <laughs> yeah. like, why? For the, That's they, weird. All, they all went out behavior. with him. Yeah. And uh, instead of just like looking around the table and being like, man, that was delicious. Mm-hmm. And, and just sort of appreciating the thing for what it is. And, um, and so that's, and that's something that I've, that, that chapter is, is, feels very autobiographical because that's something that I have, uh, I have wrestled with a lot is what does it look like to just live with the right aspects of enjoyment and gratitude, but not sort of guilt at how I'm perceived for enjoying things or uh and then just the freedom to really relish the good things that god has provided uh, we're gonna we're gonna come back to that after uh, a quick break but i'm talking to barnabas piper about happiness actually uh, as it's couched in his new book hoping for happiness turning life's most elusive feeling into lasting reality and we'll be right back so i want to tell you about a couple of books that i've received actually three uh, that i've received since the podcast was on hiatus and I uh, recommend that you check them out. I'm not, I haven't read them all yet, but they were sent to me for review uh, and I haven't had a chance to actually review them, but I'm going to bring them to your attention in case you might want to check them out. One is called Rethink Yourself, The Power of Looking Up Before Looking In by my good buddy Trevin Wax, who's now a VP at Lifeway Christian Resources. And uh, follow your heart. You are enough. You do you. Trevin examines a lot of these kinds of sayings that have arisen in our culture and examines them in light of scripture. And this book is called Rethink Yourself. This is a good discipleship work, so I want to encourage you to take a look at it. Uh, Also, from Billy Hollowell, Playing with Fire. This is a book on uh, a modern investigation into demons, exorcisms, and ghosts. So um, if if you're the scaredy cat type, you might want to pass this one by. But if you're doing some study on spiritual... Uh, spiritual warfare, or if you've always been interested in ghosts and what the Bible says about those kinds of things, the spirit world, uh, check this out. It is uh, Playing with Fire, A Modern Investigation into Demons, Exorcism, and Ghosts by Billy Hallowell. This is published by Thomas Nelson. Uh, then a big old honking book called The First 100 Years of Christianity, An Introduction to Its History, Literature, and Development uh, by Udo Schnell. Uh, this is a fantastic looking book. Again, I haven't gotten into it, but this is the very kind of book that I would reference over and over again in sermon preparation. It's many hundreds of pages long, about 650. Uh, the first 100 years of Christianity, not only about theology, history, literature, and development by Udo Schnell. And I, uh, t- I hope you'll take a look at that one. That's from Baker. It is an academic type book, so it's not cheap. But if this is your kind of thing, uh, I encourage you to take a look. Don't forget to check out Hearts and Minds Books with my buddy Byron, Byron Borger. And uh, you can find them online, Hearts and Minds Books. And you can order through them. Uh, mention uh, Uncommentary Podcast. And if they're able to give you a discount on a specific book, then they will do so. They can't get every book, but man, it is good to work with a local bookstore and encourage them and keep them in business. So I want to park right here uh, for just a second uh, because I 
I went through this as well as a believer, um, where there was this kind of idea that, um, only the only good things are the things that are to come in eternity. So nothing here really, even though we're redeemed, nothing about this life is actually redeemable. So if you enjoy stuff too much, then you're probably doing something that's wrong. So you're making God unhappy uh, in your happiness. Um, you know, the whole pleasure and sin for a season thing. And we, we tend to think those seasons last a lot longer than they do. So I kind of grew up with that same kind of guilt um, over what should I be enjoying and what should I not be enjoying? How should it affect, you know, a car that I buy or a house that I buy or something like that? And eventually I came to realize that God is interested uh, in, in my happiness and he, he saves me or saved me uh, and makes it possible for me to enjoy an amount of redemptive appreciation, even in the midst of this fallen world. And so um, I don't have to feel guilty about, you know, buying a pair of pants at an actual store rather than at Goodwill. Uh, not, not, <laughs> and again, and, and total serious, not that there's anything yeah, wrong. That's with a real, that's a Goodwill. real thing. You know, I'm, I'm not that, at all downplaying that. And some people actually prefer to do it because they get, guess what? Happiness out of finding $200 jeans for $5 and they just think it's the most awesome thing in the world and they could probably afford to buy them at a higher price, but they get joy out of finding those kinds of deals. Um, that's not typically me. I'm not, you know, running around the thrift stores looking for clothes, but I don't find, you know, I have had, I've allowed myself, I've allowed God, I should say, I've allowed God to teach me that there's real happiness just in the blessings that he provides temporally as well as eternally. So everything isn't a slavish, a slavish putting down of quote unquote the flesh when what we're really putting down a lot of times is happiness that God wants us to enjoy in this life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think one way that would be helpful for people to think about this, if they still have sort of that gut level, like discomfort mm-hmm. at being given permission to enjoy things is so let me pose a question sort of rhetorically. What would it say about a God who gave us taste buds and an ear for, you know, for, for melodic tones and an eye for beauty and creative sensibilities and bodies that can, that can, you know, perform different, uh, you know, physical activities what would it say about a God who did that and then said, but you're not allowed to enjoy any of those mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. You should feel low grade guilt about the enjoyment of any of those senses. I, I think that would make him mean. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he'd be the, he'd be the kid with the magnifying glass trying to burn the grasshopper or whatever, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's just a, Hey, you can do this, but you're going to be punished for right. it. <laughs> and, and, and I think the reason, the reason that we, that we get this wrong is because I mean, it, it started, it starts in Genesis one and then the transition in Genesis three. So Genesis one is this repeated refrain of, and God said that it was good. Mm-hmm. God created the world and said that it was good. And that's a level of goodness that we don't even have a concept of because it means like utterly flawless. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, everything about it is exactly as it was supposed to be. Then Genesis 3 happens, and Adam and Eve rebel against God, and then there's this curse 
which is a very intentional punishment by God. It's not just a, oh, everything broke. Like right. when we talk about brokenness, that sounds passive. It's not broken. It's cursed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's God saying, because you did this, this will be the consequence until redemption happens. But the curse doesn't mean that all the goodness is gone. It just means that the goodness is twisted and diminished. Mm -hmm. So in the midst of a a cursed world, we still have taste buds and ears and eyes and bodies and, and and a yearning and a longing for good relationships and senses of humor and all of these things that are baked into us as humans. And, and we're supposed to use those. And it pleases God when he sees his children laughing and eating and running right. and listening to music and creating food and music and all these things. And, and again, now we feel guilty because so often we turn those things into idols, you know, food becomes an idol, drink becomes an idol, mm. work becomes an idol, but that's not God's problem. Yeah. And that, that whole point is if we can relish and enjoy these things without idolizing them, it thrills God and it thrills us in, in, in exactly the way it's supposed to. Yeah, it's that line from Chariots of Fire that Eric Little says that God made me fast and when I run I feel his pleasure. I don't know if that uh-huh. I don't know if he ever actually said that. I think it was a line just for the movie. It was a great line though. Yeah, it, it really is. And it, it just it's it exemplifies or builds upon what you're talking about here that God is God God is happy when we're happy in him. I heard a guy talk about that one time. I don't remember who that was, but (laughs) yeah, I feel like, I feel like maybe I've heard that quote (laughs) thrown at me (laughs) on, on occasion. Oh man, that's awesome. So then what then, um, kind of, kind of wrap this up in the sense of how do we ground ourselves in this? So how do we give the right attention to happiness without Mm -hmm. allowing the wrong kind of happiness take us over? Yeah, I think one of the ways that has been most profoundly instructive for me, and I write about this in the book, is uh, is a focus on gratitude. Mm. And not just a vague sense of like, oh, I'm so thankful for all of these good things, <laughs> yes. but a recognition of God's hand at work in good things. Mm. Every good gift comes from above. So if we are intentionally grateful for all of the good things in our lives and just make it a practice to to observe and to recognize that puts us in a position where God is the giver and creator. We are the recipient. So there's a humility in it. And it removes so much of the temptation uh, to idolize, Mm. because how are you going to idolize something while telling God thank you for this thing that you've given me that I couldn't have otherwise had. Right. And so it, it keeps God as, as our Lord and That's keeps good. these good things as gifts, but not as, not as idols, not as those weak hooks. And so I think that's a huge piece of it is that emphasis on, on gratitude. The other aspect is that eye towards eternity. Now, you said earlier something that I, I deeply resonate with, that sense of that, that you've, you know, you kind of had to work to overcome that only eternal things really matter. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you and I, I think would both agree that that's not exactly true. Those right. things, <laughs> those things matter ultimately, 
but everything that happens between now and then also matters. Right. But keeping an eye on eternity puts things in the right perspective. Mm. So whether a job is a dream job or a nightmare, it it scales way down in terms of how much of a how much does this matter? Mm. It's still provision from God, it's still a good thing, but it's not turning my life upside down ultimately. You know, if your if a marriage falls apart, eternity frames that differently. Or if your marriage is blissful, eternity frames that differently because it just it puts everything on a, on a different scale that says I can enjoy this the right way or I can find happiness in the midst of this hard thing the right way without without getting all hung up and kind of. Like you said, ha- finding happiness the wrong way or pursuing it in the wrong things. The book is Hoping for Happiness, Turning Life's Most Elusive Feeling into Lasting Reality. Been talking to Barnabas Piper. He's the author of that particular book. Uh, Barnabas, you're on. So I'm assuming it's available like wherever books are sold, as they always say. Yep. All the, uh, I had somebody on a podcast earlier say wherever good books are sold. I, was uh, like, I, I don't care if they sell it where bad books are sold, right. too, as long as it's available. <laughs> uh, so people can find you on Twitter. Is it at Barnabas Piper? I can't remember if your initials in there. Uh, no, on Twitter, it's just at Barnabas Piper. Just first and last name. Okay. And your website is BarnabasPiper.com. Yep. Excellent. So you guys check this thing out. Um, it promises to be good. And, um, until next time, until, until next book. (laughs) Thanks Barnabas for being with me today. Thank you. As always, thank you for listening to Uncommentary. If you'd like to keep up with me on Twitter, it's at Marty Duran. If you'd like to follow the podcast account, it's at Uncommentary Pod. Please rate and review, and whichever podcatcher you listen to, uh, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Podbean uh, or Overcast or CastBox, whichever one you use. Uh, if you can rate and review, then that would be awesome. It just helps with search results and gives some credibility uh, to the podcast itself. Uh, and as you have an opportunity, if you would promote it, whether you uh, put the link from uncommentarypodcast.com uh, on your Facebook page, or if you tweet the link or retweet the uh, the initial broadcast that it's live, uh, anything like that to help spread the word is always appreciated. And as always, uh, Solidale Gloria, this is Marty Duran for Uncommentary Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>